Happy Easter. A lot of you are accustomed to seeing me looking a little bit bigger because typically we're, I'm at the Mission Campus uh, sharing live there and we, we have the video cast here. But this is a real special weekend for me in a way. I'm like a first time visitor myself, um, but in a way I'm not. And so I'm looking forward to sharing together here. It really is uh, a blessing. And I need to, I need to say this because um, you know, I realize that some of, some of you may be here for the first time, and yet I've only been able to sort of just watch this unfold. Um, and it's amazing to me to see the beautiful sacrifice and commitment that is modeled here. I watched a lot of people get here early to set up for this service. Everything was moved into place. There were a lot of volunteers. Some of them got here as early as 6 o'clock in the morning to start setting up. It's amazing to me, all the people who are just pouring their heart and soul into trying to do something to honor the Lord together. Like Pastor Skip mentioned, we've only been doing this for a couple of months now, and I'm, I'm just really extraordinarily grateful to God. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a genuine love and devotion that's being expressed in tangible ways by a number of people who are serving. And I want to suggest that the community is still building, and so this is a great time to consider getting connected, getting involved. Uh, if, if community is something you really value, this is a great campus to do it in because it's almost like a, a church that's been planted, even though technically we're one church and two campuses. In fact, I just got a text from the Mission Campus. Uh, and it was the first time, I'll tell you, the first time in 20 years uh, that I hadn't been there for an Easter presentation introducing it. And so uh, it was a real, uh, you know, it was kind of like letting go of something and entrusting it to some, someone else to be here together in this, in this house. Because one of the things that we wanted to do that we hadn't been able to do for a number of years is uh, we wanted to be able to have a service that we could run simultaneously on Easter morning. Because we realized that a lot of people go to the play, the presentation, the artistic expression that we try to create every year to honor Jesus and his death and resurrection. And then on Easter Sunday, some of our community wasn't able to have a service because they'd already gone. So the idea that we can do this here and now, uh, it's just a great blessing and uh, an extraordinary step for us as a community. And it's part of our desire to be a, a part of the hand of Jesus, a, a testimony of his grace in our city, and to have a, a presence, a viable, real presence, a place where we can bring friends and loved ones and those who are seeking, perhaps um, in an open way, for God. We also know that there are a number of times where prodigal sons and daughters, that is our way of saying people who've once known the Lord or were raised to know the Lord, but have drifted off path and, and have gone on a long journey, sometimes like the prodigal son in Jesus' great parable to a far country, only to be coming home again. And so some, in some ways, coming to church sometimes on Easter is like a going home for some of us. And so, you know, we're here to intentionally, intentionally commit our heart to reflecting upon this amazing thing that Jesus did when he not only gave his life for us, but uh, the resurrection. We're going to consider it. We're going to think about it. And hopefully, as is our way, we're going to apply it too. So uh, I need to also mention this, that in the weeks ahead, let me just give everybody a sense of where we're going, all right? In the weeks ahead, we're going to be moving into a series that's fearless volume, kind of what we're calling it volume two, because volume one was the one that we led into Easter with. I'm going, to, I'm going to try, Lord willing, for five weeks following Easter to talk about five examples 
of Jesus' interactions um, that occurred either around the cross, around the empty tomb, or after his resurrection, and draw from that principles of fear around fear and how to live with less fear and with more courage in practical ways, whether it's in our relationships and the way in which we live our lives out, in terms of working through our own issues in our own heart. So you know, we're going to talk about, for example, the, the, there's this wonderful moment with a thief on the cross. Uh, fear is a part of that conversation with Jesus. There's a special moment around the empty tomb when Jesus talks to the women who've come thinking he's dead and he's alive. There's this moment of great restoration where Peter is just a broken man and he's restored. Uh, we're going to look at Thomas, the great doubter, the honest man who... Um, doubted, and watch how Jesus worked with him. So I'm really looking forward to that. Those are the weeks ahead. But, but this morning, we get to share together in a different way. And uh, I have something I would like to, to submit. And so we'll go, pray, go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll share together in this word, all right? So Lord, I want to thank you uh, again for this great privilege to be able to be in your house on this Easter morning. And Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm reminding myself that there are just, you know, right now, you know, and in the hours that have passed and the hours that are still ahead, there are people all over the world, literally millions of people, um, turning their eyes and hearts towards you, having already done so. Just finding a way to acknowledge this stunning and extraordinary thing that you did for us. And to sit with what the implications are. Because really, it's more than just something that is symbolic. One of the things you taught us was that it was about a relationship with you, that you've, you came to change the human equation to bring light into our darkness, to, to make a, a pathway for us. And so as much as I can say this, Lord, I pray for the, a flow of grace to fill this house. Um, you, you who are our risen Savior, you also know each one of us. You know us by name. Um, you, the Father said that, that even the, head, the hairs on our head were numbered. That the, consider the lilies of the field, you said, and, and, and how God even takes care of the, them and their beauty and splendor. How much more does he care for you? He loves us. And Lord, there, perhaps there's no greater testimony of your love than, the, than your willingness to die for us. But that would not have been enough because if death was all, then it really is not a hopeful thing. But your rising from the dead changes everything. And so we're going to sit with that this morning, and I pray that your goodness and grace would fill this time, this brief time we're sharing together, as much as we can. Let us lay aside cynicism or any other agenda. Let us focus our heart and our mind on you at this moment and, and listen for your voice to us. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we say this together. Amen. God. All right. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, Easter is that day when Christians all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And, and it really is that, uh, that special Sunday in the year that we remember that astonishingly sublime Sunday morning over 2,000 years ago when, when the Messiah, when Jesus the Messiah, God's only begotten Son, the cre really um, what he did is he crushed death. He crushed death, he crushed hell, he crushed the grave. And uh, it was like he made possible life beyond the grave. And so if, if we can trust Jesus and if we can believe what he has said he has done, then it affects how we see our lives and it affects how we even think about leaving this world, which inevitably we all will do. And so, you know, I was thinking about it. Um, at the outset of his ministry, Jesus 
had this uh, conversation with a man who was named Nicodemus. And this man, Nicodemus, was uh, an intellectually uh, powerful man who had been a, a significant religious leader. But he was also a man who was searching. And Jesus has this conversation with him in what is, in my opinion, one of the great chapters in all the Bible, a towering chapter, the third chapter of John. It's in that conversation that Jesus talks about with this great man of, of understanding of the scriptures himself. And Jesus begins to challenge him around the simplicity of what God is doing. And he says, listen, my friend, and, and Nicodemus is struggling in that conversation to uh, grasp what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says to him, that's where he says, you must be born again. And that whole, the whole phrase, born again, comes out of a conversation that Jesus has with a very religious, spiritual man who, who has come to a place in his own life where he wants more. And he's trying to wrestle with who Jesus is. Well, the reason I bring that up is because later on in that conversation, Jesus utters what is probably the most well-known verse ever quoted in the history of, of humanity. It's no exaggeration to say that. John 3.16 Jesus says to him, listen, for God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life everlasting. And then Jesus added in what is the 17th verse, because God, remember he's talking, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, because God did not send his son into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. And so what Jesus says in that moment, you think about it, what he basically is saying is that the saving mechanism you know, the, the, the essential um, lifeline. He's, Jesus is saying that I, I have come into this world to be God's lifeline, the saving one. That, um, that truth, that incredible truth, that, that, that the saving mechanism uh, would come through Jesus. And essentially the saving mechanism is the cross. The cross becomes the, the saving mechanism of God. It's where the Lamb of God would, would give his life so that we might live. And we often talk about the cross, and that's why those who follow Jesus oftentimes sing about the cross, and we, we talk about the meaning of the cross, and it's become a, a symbol, a symbol that was once a symbol of torture and torment has become a symbol of life. Why? Because it was there that the Son gives his life so that we might have life. But again, what I said at the beginning, if it had only been the cross and that was it, if that's all Jesus was, was a great teacher who lived a really good life, said some cool things, and then died uh, scandalously, remember, naked, like a common criminal on a, on a hill where forgotten people and nobodies went to die. That if that's what it ended with, then it would have been not anything really glorious whatsoever. It would have been an astonishingly sad ending to what had been a beautiful life. And, but I will also point out that if that's all that Jesus was, then it was also a statement about who he was as well because he had declared himself to be so much more than just a teacher and a good man. The bottom line is this, that the resurrection is what changes the, the scenario. It's Friday as good as it is, and we call it Friday now, the Good Friday, because it represents the sacrificial heart of God on the cross. But it would not be a Good Friday if it had not had a Sunday attached to it with an empty tomb. That's the point. The point is his death would have no meaning or value if there wasn't a resurrection attached to it. We often talk about the meaning of Sunday. 
the third day and what it represents. Well, it's a big deal because it represents life. It represents the promise of life. It represents the ultimate declaration of victory. So, you know, kind of keeping that in mind, weeks before Jesus was crucified, so let's go back in time. Weeks before Jesus was crucified, on that, on that, that day, that Friday at noon, there was a moment where he had an exchange. Not too, again, just a few weeks before the cross. He has an exchange with some friends. Those friends had been people who were very close to him, um, and he had, he had made a statement to one of, one of his followers, a woman named Martha. Now stay with me. So a couple of weeks before, Jesus had made this statement to a woman named Martha. We're going to put the verse up. It's, it's from John 11. You can see it here, verse 25. This is when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And that verse, just kind of keep it up there and let it linger for a moment. This is a, a, a great verse because Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I am life. Death will not hold me. Now, he said those words to a, a woman in a context. And I want us to look at that context in the time that we have here. I want us, if we can, to go back in time and understand that this was uttered on an occasion where death was everywhere. See, what had happened was Martha's brother had, was a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus, along with their other sister, there's three of them, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, had been very close to Jesus. They were more than just even ardent followers. They were people, and, and this was rare for Jesus to have people in his life that he actually described as friends. So they were both his followers and friends. How can I put it? They were people that it appears that Jesus could be comfortable with, that he could be um, at home with, that he was able to um, just enjoy their company. And so one of the things the Bible is clear about is that this man and his two sisters, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, were people who were very close to him, more than just because they were followers and believers, but because they were his friends. That really serves as a wonderful backdrop for what we're about to look at. And again, I want us to turn to John 11, and we'll move through this passage of Scripture together. It's in your handout. And it's going to be, if I can say this, one of the most wonderful and enlightening chapters in all the records of our Lord's ministry. It says this, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Bethany was located, and we'll just put a quick little map up there for you. Bethany was located uh, about two miles uh, away from Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem. Jerusalem still very much in the news today, but you get an idea of the context geographically of what we're reading about. And it says that Lazarus was, was sick, and so they sent a message to him. It says that it was, this was the same Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters, they sent a, an urgent message to Jesus. They said, they said listen, uh, Lord, behold, he whom you love uh, is sick. He was talking about, they were talking about Lazarus, the brother, their brother. And they were saying, your friend Lazarus, you, you know, they saw themselves as intimate friends with Jesus. And they did not question Jesus' love for, and concern for their brother. And they said, Lord, he's, he's very sick. And the implication was, we need you to come right away, and we know you will. And that was, you know, that was the implied statement here. Look at, though, verse 4. 
Look what Jesus says when he gets the news. Jesus, you've been given an urgent message from your friends, Mary and Martha, about Lazarus and how Lazarus is very ill, and obviously they need you to come right away. But Jesus says this. When, he, when, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, this situation is not as it seems. God has other plans. Verse 5. And so what we are told here is that as soon as Jesus hears, the, hears about Lazarus, Lazarus being sick, he immediately stops what he's doing and makes his way to Bethany. He, he immediately departed, hoping to get there just in time. Um, he immediately sends off a message. I'm on my way. No, what we're told is, look at it closely, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now I ask you, what kind of love is that? That's an odd kind of friendship, if I may say. What kind of love lingers when a friend is in absolute need and time is of the essence? I want us, if we can, to leapfrog to to the 17th verse. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already, that's Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. So he's been dead four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem again, about two miles away. And many of the, of the Jews, uh, his fellow Jews, had joined the women around Mar- Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother who was dead, and they were grieving his death. And now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's quite a statement, by the way. It has faith all over it. Martha obviously believed in Jesus's power to heal the sick, although that faith and confidence in that power seemed limited to Jesus' physical presence. She says, if you had been here, I am convinced my brother would be alive. But But you weren't. And now, and now it's too late. My brother is dead. It's, it's almost, if you can hear it through the pages, it's almost accusatory. And I can't help but think that part of the reason she was running to get to Jesus when she finally hears, you're finally coming, that part of her is saying, what took you so long to get here? And if she only knew, if she only knew that Jesus had gotten the information and had intentionally delayed and, it's, and you wonder also if Mary's there, she can't, she's so crushed, she doesn't even want to go to Jesus. It's Martha who handles it in a completely different way. Um, if ever so subtly, I think in her, in her word, first words to Jesus, you can, hear, um, you can hear the subtlety of her deep disappointment in his delay. It's like, where were you? What happened? What took you so long? If you had gotten here in time, I know my brother, your friend, Lazarus, Lazarus would be alive if you had gotten here in, on time. And then almost as if she catches herself, look at this, verse 22, almost as if she catches herself as these words are escaping out of her mouth, she adds this, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God, God will give you. It's, it's like she says that, look, I know God hear, hears you. I believe that you carry weight in heaven. You, you could have saved him um, because I know God listens to you. That's, 
I've seen it. I believe it. Um, when you ask him to do things, he, he does it. I've seen that. Verse 20 23. And Jesus said to her, now look at this. Think about this incredible exchange. Jesus says to her, no, your, your brother will rise again. And, and look what she says. Yeah, I, yes, Lord, I know. I understand that. I know, Lord, that, that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Sure, I get that. I believe that ultimately people are brought back to life. I, I, I understand that someday he will be alive again. That's what she says. And Jesus turns to her, and this is when he utters that great scripture, right? It's right in this moment. It's almost like he says, no, 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 no. Listen to me. You do not understand exactly what I'm getting at here. I'm talking about something a little bit different than that. The power of life and resurrection. Listen, Martha, look at me. The power of life and resurrection is standing right before you. Look at me. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And look at this. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Do you understand that? And then this wonderful, wonderful statement on the part of Jesus. And whoever lives and believes in me, listen, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Well, Yes, Lord. I, I, verse 27. Yes, Lord. She said to him, yes, Lord. I, I believe. I believe. I, I believe. She's not quite grasping what Jesus is getting at, but she says, yes, Lord. And look at this, Mark, look at this great confession. Yes, Lord. I, I, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ. I, I believe that you're the promised one. I believe that you're Messiah. I, and then she takes it one step further. She says, I believe even now that you are the Son of God who has come into this world. I, I believe that. It's a great statement on our part. And she, she, she believed in him, but clearly didn't comprehend exactly what Jesus was getting at. And, and in that way, she's a lot like you and me. She said, I believe, but does she really understand what Jesus is getting at? This chapter, by the way, continues. And it's a, a marvelous and revealing exchange that occurs later on between Jesus and Martha's sister, Mary, which is a whole nother exchange that has all kinds of depth to it. But when we finally get to this point where, at the end, Jesus basically, you know, tells this grieving multitude. He finally gets to a point where he says, what I want you all to do now is roll away the stone. And they protest in that moment. Everybody does. He says, no, you can't do that. He's already been wrapped up. And besides, his body is already decaying. It's been four days. And the other, the older version, when I first remember reading it, the old King James order says, it, he stinketh, right? <laughs> the idea is this is way past anything. What are you doing, Lord? It's almost morbid. This is crazy. What do you mean roll away the stone? And, and, and yet, look at this, and we're just going to look at the, ba the back end of it. It says, then, verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I will say this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, 
Come forth. And look what happens. It says that, and he who had died, and I tried to imagine in my mind's eye, and he who had died came out still bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face wrapped with a cloth. It must have been quite a sight, I'll tell you that. And Jesus said, I can imagine, he's hopping out, right? That's <laughs> all I can imagine, trying to think, how did he do it? All right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it says, Jesus said to him, lose him, unwrap him, and let him go. It was, it's, it, it was a stunning, remarkable moment. Now, I'm going to say this because here's what you, this is something that you know I, I enjoy sharing. Uh, I, I always like to take God's amazing word and then play it out through the lens of our lives. And I want us to think about this for a moment. So we'll just kind of put these applications, these, we call them apps. We'll put them up, all right? <laughs> just to think about, to talk about, to consider, reflect upon. But here is this. There, listen, loved ones. There is a mystery to the love of God. So what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is this. There, there is a love that we are invited to embrace with humility. I go back to this. God's ways will not always be our ways. They sometimes they don't even make sense to us. Indeed, there is even, if I can put it this way, a love that delays. Jesus delayed intentionally. There's no other way to suggest otherwise. They send him the news, hurry up, Lazarus is dying. Jesus waits a few more days. There is sometimes a love that delays. That sometimes we scratch our head and we say, God, why aren't you showing up for me right now? Where are you? Why are you taking your time? And then there is a part of us that says, if you had been here, with all due respect, he, he would be alive. I know he would because you could have healed him. But he's dead and it's done and it's over. And Jesus is going to say, not this time it is. It's not over. I want you to understand something. Something far more profound is happening right now. You know, I was thinking about it. The cross is also something we're called to embrace with humility. Anyone who will follow Jesus has at some point come to a place where we say, I'm going to choose to embrace the cross. Part of us wonders, why would God choose to, to do it that way? Now, there's a lot of theological reasons. When you read the Old Testament, it makes a lot, there's some at least consistent uh, logic attached to why Jesus would die on a cross why he would become the ultimate sacrifice. Entire systems of sacrifice established from the very beginning. You read Genesis all the way through the Older Testament. It's always pointing to the coming of a Savior who would give his life for us as the ultimate sacrifice. It makes sense at that, at that point. But, but, but if you really think about it, couldn't God have done it some other way? I mean, perhaps. But that's the way God chose to do it. And we, like Martha, get to decide. Listen, loved ones, we get to decide how much we are willing to believe. It's almost as if he turns to you and me, just like he did to her. Think about what he did. Well, after he makes his statement, I am the resurrection and the life who believes in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. And then he gets to that point and he says, do you believe this? And there's almost like a part of us that he, he says that exact, in some ways he might be saying it exactly to us right now. Do you believe this? And... And, and a part of us, maybe, maybe the question when it's honest, listen, when, you, when we honestly confront that question, not just out of a rote, thing, oh, yes, I believe. No, do I believe it? Can I it will always push us inward. It will always push us into honest places. And I suspect a lot of times what we will, we will say, even those who've been touched by God and, and we felt his presence, we will say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's an honest word at times. 
I say that because there's a part of it that is a, to me is a mystery. And yet, I also believe this, that Christ came, and here's the second piece, that we must remember at Easter time, that Christ has come to give us life beyond this grave. That is an extraordinary gift to you and me. Um, you know, we're talking about eternal life, life without end. It's a promise, life overflowing. It's a promise that almost seems too good to be true. You know, at the end of C.S. Lewis's great uh, Chronicles of Narnia, which have been made into films now, uh, he writes that death is not the end. He, he, but simply, and this is what he says, simply chapter one of a good story, which no one on earth has read, which goes forever, in which, in which every chapter is better than the one before. On that night, um, the night of Jesus' arrest, the day before his death, Jesus spoke these words to his clearly shaken disciples, and they were stunned and shaken by the words that Jesus was saying. But in John 14, Jesus said this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. That is, do not allow your hearts, look at me, he says, do not allow your hearts to be filled with fear and anxiety. You believe in God, believe in me. And then poetically, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. Listen, if it were not so, I would have told you. What Jesus is saying in this moment, and I find it beautiful, it's like in that moment he says, listen, I know everything that's about to happen is going to rock you. And I know what, what I'm telling you right now is already crushing you. And I know that some of you, like you, Peter, even though you believe you can handle this, you can't. You're not going to do it. It's, it's going to blow you down. Because whatever I know about you, and I'm, now I'm taking some license here, but I'm going to say this, whatever I know about you, I know you better than you know you. And if the right buttons are pushed, you'll fall, just like every one of us will. And then Jesus says to them, and again, I want to keep that verse back up for a moment, if it were not so, and I, I don't know, there's something about this, I love it. It's like Jesus saying, I wouldn't lie to you. If this was just an empty deal, I would tell you right now, but it's not. You need to believe me. Even when nothing is going to make sense, you need to believe me. There is more. And I am who I have said I am. It's powerful. So whatever else heaven is, and every believer who would follow Christ can be assured it's a place. It's a place, it's a destination, it's a coming reality of some type. But we must remember that, I put it this way, because of Jesus, Lazarus rose only to die again. But because of Jesus, we who will die will rise again. It's like a, a, an amazing juxtaposition. Jesus raises Lazarus and we say, that's the miracle. But he will raise Lazarus and Lazarus will die again. But he comes to us who will die and says, you will rise again. It's a great promise. It's a promise that goes beyond time. And that's why, and it leads me to this, to this final thought for us this morning, the one that I'm hoping we will carry out into this Easter day, and in this Easter special moment of ours that we're sharing together, that, that, the, that in the meantime, the living Christ, the living Christ wants to unleash his life in us Jesus said to the incredulous crowd who were shocked and stunned at his audacity when he said, loose him, let him go. Think about it. Jesus said, it's almost like between now and then. 
between now and when we leave this life. It's the same thing he says to every one of us. I want you to live unbound. I want you to have life in me and to have it abundant and overflowing. Yes, there is a life yet to come. But in the meantime, between now and then, here is how I would have you live. And I see the image of one bound up, wrapped up, tied up. And Jesus says, and which I think is emblematic of his entire ministry and word to you and I on this good Easter day, which is this. Whatever things would hinder and wrap us up and squeeze out the life that is within us, unleash it. Unleash the, the love of God in our lives. May we live unhindered, free, and, 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 and overflowing with the life of God. Increasingly, listen, the will of the Lord for every one of us, new and old, those believing, those on the verge, those yet to believe, the will of God for every one of us is that we would live increasingly free. For he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That we would live increasingly unhindered. That we would live increasingly the growing life that is so much a part of everything that our, our, our church community is trying to pursue. Experiencing God and growth. That we want to be a, a, a people who are on the grow. Not just on the go, but on the grow. And the idea here is that we are becoming, listen, more of what he wants us to be with every decade of our life. That there is a kind of transforming work that he wants us to experience, health and life, the, the, the health and life of God in fresh dimensions. I have come again that you might have life and have it more abundantly overflowing in your life uh, so that the, the chains and the wrappings that bind us will fall helplessly behind us as we learn to live a life that increasingly reflects the, rea the real presence and touch of a living Savior, that this would be the will of God. I don't know the things that hinder us. I can't say for sure. that I know the only things that, that would wrap themselves around me. But we, I'm going to tell you, the Lord wants us to be unbound. He did not save us to be bound. He gives us life to be free. And his word to us is still, come forth, come forth, that he might let us go. And that is God's will. That is God's plan. What a Savior. What a Savior. Jesus, the risen Lord. All right. We'll pray. Close out. The final song, we'll have a time of giving, but we're going to honor the Lord together in these, these closing minutes. In the last song, it makes the declaration, you know, that Christ is risen. But when we think about it, as we, as we hear this song, as we say he is risen, remember, he is risen to set us free. So the past scriptings, the habits we've acquired, the areas of that we no longer want to, to have associated with us, we want to move forward with God, that is his will for us as well. And as we invest our hearts in the community, as we, as we honestly pursue him, listen, honestly, as we do it with honesty and humility, struggle is not the issue. Honesty and humility is. That's what he, he will not turn, ever turn us away. He wants to unwrap things, unleash his life. Let's pray. All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you on this good Easter day. Easter 2012. <laughs> Even our years numbering at some level by you. 
And I pray that you would increasingly expand life in us, Lord. I pray that you would allow for more of your life to flow in and through us, Lord. And, and I pray that some of us, and again, I'm, I'm just thinking of it in this way too. A lot of us, Lord, have been called to helping others get unwrapped. Think about that for a moment. That, that we are called in turn to be someone who helps sometimes un, unhinder those who, who either have, have been touched by you and need to get better and grow. And we get to be part of strengthening one another. I, again, it, he didn't unwrap himself. The touch was there of you. The touch of the miraculous was there. But there had to be some people helping it, helping it happen so that life could break out and freedom from constriction. Help us to be ambassadors of your love. Help us to be people who are open to sharing the goodness of the risen Savior. And, and living Jesus, live in us, we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen.